Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 393 of the JV Club with my wonderful guest, Darylise Lyons. I have known Darylise for a few years now. She uh, is involved in the uh, Philly Improv Festival, which is a wonderful festival I hope I get a chance to do again. Um, it's so much fun. I went there with uh, Spontanea Nation uh, several years ago, and it was so great. Uh, but Darylise also does a ton of other really cool stuff, and I feel sure you'll enjoy our conversation. We definitely dig deep. Um, and it was a total pleasure to record. So enjoy the episode. I hope everybody's doing well, taking care of themselves and each other. And I'm sending you lots of e-hugs. And we'll talk to you next time. Well, now listen, we are uh, we are recording this on a very, very special weekend indeed. Um, things are very kooky. You know, I mean, listen, if I said, if I started a podcast by saying things are very kooky in the year 2020, it could be like any weekend, any given day of the entire year. But I think we can agree that this is a particularly special kooky weekend. Yeah, it's a... It- feels like a very very strange time to be human just very strange <laughs> uh our president is in the hospital with covid-19 um yeah. and the and everything else on the internet seems like probably it has been suspended i have not spent a ton of time on it since this happened because I tend to get like the hyperstimulation anxiety of um like oh god this is this is this is the whole world right now and I it doesn't like it has a lot to do with me and yet it has nothing to do with me in terms of like nothing I do is going to like change <laughs> the, the course of events that has happened and is to come and and so part of me is like I need to back away from this for a minute um, yeah. Rather than, you know, c- continuing to follow everyone's hot take uh, on everything. How about well, you? There's so many. I mean, there's so many, Janet, so many questions and so few answers that I think sometimes yeah. I can get lost in the rabbit hole of speculation and like wondering, because right now we don't really know what's going on. And so it's all just yeah. a bunch of like just random speculations that I think can be maddening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just so crazy. (sighs) Like, so crazy and yet so, as many have said, so predictable, but also so crazy. Like, somehow still unpredictable. Um, Because I think I start to buy into, I guess, I guess it's because, and we don't have to get super political, but I guess it's because it's been such a hard, weird year that it, as much as it would make sense for a bunch of folks to maybe not do all of the things you kind of check off your list to try to keep yourself from getting this. Um, there is a sense of like, I, once I, I think there's some part of me deep down, even if I don't agree with their politics or whatever, that like, maybe even I buy into the bullshit of like, you know, of course it's not going to like, of course, no one, like, of course the people at the top who are sort of, you know, mocking people for wearing masks and stuff, of course they're not going to get it because that's just like going to follow the course of this year, which is Mm. the sense of like, God damn it, somehow you managed to flout all of this stuff and you still didn't get it. You know what I mean? So so I think that's what's surprising is like, it just feels like, well, this is this, you know, should be the most predictable outcome in the world. But I, I guess even I kind of bought into the the idea of like, ugh. But like, no one, none of those guys are ever going to get it. It's just going to be one of those things where they, it, they, it continues to enforce this idea that it's not real or whatever. So yeah. that I guess is like the weird shift that is like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah, I guess uh, right. Me, yeah, of course. The, you know. Yeah, the thing that I'm still waiting to have happen that has not happened yet, and I'm surprised every time that it hasn't happened is like an admission of, oops, I got this wrong. Or you know what, like maybe I wasn't quite right or some, Mm -hmm. yeah, just some admission that like, oh, actually, yeah, bad idea, you know? And 
Yeah, that not at all. It smoothly moves into. Time. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And shouldn't be. And yet we are. Yeah, there's yeah. a it's such a smooth transition into like, as I've always said, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, so many people have been struck down by this horrible vibe. Like, wait, oh, what? No, but you yeah. but hold on. It's like, oh, sh oh it's, a, it's a real great like like haven't you come on go ahead and forget about this last thing and like now this is what i'm saying now and it's it's extraordinary it's really extraordinary it's, i feel like the expectation is that we're all a bunch of two-year-olds like the american populace is supposed to be a bunch of two-year-olds who it's like oh you know you might be crying now but focus on this lollipop you know and then like oh there's a pretty shiny thing you know and like we're supposed right. to be that distractible but i i hope people aren't i hope people aren't that sort of I like mean I just don't me. yeah I don't know I mean I, I agree know. with everything you're saying I just yeah I don't know um I don't I don't know I mean yeah it's like we you know and then, then actually this is this sort of segues into um the the work that you've been doing um and I want to talk about your teenage years as well so I'm going to be all over the map today Yay. with you uh but you know it it speaks to this idea of like, you know, marginalization and compartmentalization and, um, you know, where you choose to get your information and who you choose to believe. And, and that's, everything has become so subjective. And, and so, you know, you can, your world can get smaller and smaller, um, on all sides, you know, like on all perspectives. Um, and then you can feel more and more disconnected from someone who's not exactly like you or someone who doesn't believe exactly what you do or someone who doesn't think or look exactly like you do. So, um, and like I said, I do feel like that can happen in every, in every direction, you know, none of us should feel immune to tunnel vision, right? Absolutely. And I think the rhetoric of American individualism is, can be somewhat problematic, right? Because it's like, you know, this whole notion that my ideas and my perspectives and what I want is the most important thing. And I want to forward my own agenda. And, you know, I mean, I think there's some value to the notion that hard work pays off. But I, I also think that what we're seeing in this country, especially right now in the midst of a global pandemic is like, well, you can't really just be out for yourself because that has catastrophic right. consequences. And um, so I think it's, yeah, like, I, I don't know that people are necessarily ready always to look at the notion that we're all an interconnected ecosystem and um, people really need to be pulling together and widening our lens for what constitutes community. But I, I think that, um, you know, it, it's taking it's taking a lot of culture shock to, like, wake the American public up and it's it's very painful for a lot of people right now. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, I, we can, we can talk about this closer to the end too, because I want people to, to, to be reminded of it, but um, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about the, the show you've been working on and, you know, how you are kind of committed to making those perspectives clearer for maybe people who haven't sought out other perspectives or sought out what other people's, what it's like to walk in another person's shoes, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So I recently launched a podcast called the Demystifying Diversity Podcast. And uh, over the course of maybe I want to say like a little over a year, I interviewed 128 people about various topics pertaining to diversity. And, um, and because you know, I, I'm a, I know, you know, this is a podcast, so people can't see me, but I'm biracial. And um and so I grew up my whole life sort of living in the spectrum space in between extremes in terms of race and, and navigating that and, and looking at those issues and, and writing, uh, you know, I've written extensively about those things and spoken about those topics, but I recognized that uh, there are so many marginalized communities and so many issues that come up pertaining to diversity. And what I realized is that in the space of diversity, it tends to be that there's like so much great work out there, but it focuses on a specific community. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't, like we kind of create a microcosm of the macrocosm, right? And that like people just look at these little segments um, of society, which I think is very important work, but there's not a whole lot out there that looks at diversity through a diverse lens and a diverse perspective and kind of looks at the danger of, um, these modes of thinking that 
pit us versus other and not dehumanize various people. So I wanted to do something very, very different from that and interviewed, um, you know, a, yeah, 128 people from different walks of life about different um, topics from uh, Black Lives Matter to Islamophobia in America to the um, just the devastating hate crimes that have been afflicting Asian Americans in the midst of COVID-19 um, to disability issues. I mean, the, you know, we did an episode on um, just the horrible rhetoric, the anti-fat rhetoric that's out there mm. now that leads to you know, eating disorders and body shaming and all those kinds of things. So I really felt like it was like very, very, very important to for people to be able to locate themselves somewhere in the conversation. Um, because mm -hmm. I think Janet, that sometimes people think like, oh yeah, like that's so sad that that community over there is impacted mm -hmm. by the ways that we, you know, live our lives yes. and by the, you know, by othering. But I think when people can see themselves or see their loved ones or recognize uh, from an empathetic place that like, oh, actually these systemic issues impact all of us and we're hurting and we're hurting deeply, both personally and, you know, nationally. I, I hope that that will inspire people to make some changes, um, you know, even just small changes, because those paradigm shifts really will change um, how we live our lives and by extension, how we interact with, you know, ourselves and, and with the world. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an ambitious project, but it, it feels really important, especially right now. So that's, I, I love what you're doing. And I think that's, um, you know, especially in, in under, under the circumstances of, I think, feeling like, you know, there's this sort of, there's, uh, there's this sort of thing happening in social media and people are sort of talking about it. And there was <laughs> like, what was probably a month or two ago, but now feels like four years ago, uh, when there was the whole sort of like, um, cancel culture, you know, um, that kind of objection that was happening and, and the, com the conversation kind of swirling around social media specifically, because that's really where it seems like most of it happens with this, this idea that, you know, you just, you, you just shut someone down. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to quote unquote cancel someone and, and there that's a, it's a pretty textured conversation in and of itself. But, um, but 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 some people sort of have have talked about it with respect to um, you can't please don't shut down conversation because you're angry that someone doesn't understand the world the way you do um, yeah. because that's not going to bring them any closer and I it, you know I understand that there are times when someone feels like a lost cause but uh, it's it's it can be scary for people to to ask questions that they don't even they, they, they don't know the answers to and they, they don't even know they truly don't know that the question itself could be offensive to someone. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate so much people like you who are really dedicated to the conversation with a capital C, you know, the sort of like, it, it, we're not going to assume that if you haven't evolved, quote unquote, to a certain point, um, that that you know, we have no time for you, like this sort of leaving it open to the idea that there's still conversation to be had and that there's still um, people who who can benefit and who may say like, oh, I like, <laughs> you know, to put it like sort of in a silly way, like, oh, I'm woke about like fat shaming in a way that I, I just wasn't, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think part of the challenge, though, with all of these issues is that, as you say, I mean, conversation is so important. Social media is probably not the best medium to have those conversations, right? Because it tends to <laughs> be just like, well, yeah, it kind of is the, yeah, right, the right, most right. visible, you know? No, no, it's not fruitful and you kind of can't detect tone and it tends to be not a way of like really having a genuine interaction with people. But I think something that can also be challenging is like putting the expectation of education on the person who is being othered or marginalized. Like that's also a really hard um, mm -hmm. and challenging thing. If someone doesn't know what they don't know, like it, it might not be appropriate to kind of ask someone outside of their inner circle, like, 
hey, can you tell me about your pain, you stranger? Like, right? I mean, that's right. Just, it's right. hard, right? And so Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's important for people to like have safe spaces where they can go. And luckily as a journalist, I, I am able to ask people who, you know, I might not have in my inner circle, like, hey, can you talk to me about these issues? And um, and they're willing to do that on the record. And then, and then other people can learn from that, hopefully, and initiate meaningful conversations at their dinner table and, you know, in their, with their close friends. It's so, it's so amazing to me how, like, some of the people that we say are closest to us, uh, we don't talk to about the important things, like race Mm. and religion and culture and body. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, it's just crazy how superficial so many relationships are that seem to be substantive. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. (laughs) In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Schreier. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! Well, let's let's get back to you for a second, um, not to just like immediately turn the hot light back on you right after we just talked about like attacking people to find out their perspectives. But um, <laughs> but you, well, you had, of course, mentioned um, that, you you know, you, you mentioned that you're biracial and you mentioned that that's, you know, you, you're kind of coming at this from your own uh, unique perspective. Um, let's dive into that a little bit. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is very sort of like an affluent community and not very diverse. Um, <laughs> but I was not, I mean, I had a single mom um, for until I was 11 and I was an only child. And so like I was not, we were kind of solidly working middle class. Um, so I was very much not like the people that I was surrounded by. Um, but I didn't. I don't know that I felt like bad about that. I was just always aware of it. Hmm. What? How big is Greenwich? I forget. Connecticut isn't. Uh, I've I've been to so many different pockets of Connecticut, and I still feel like it's kind of a mystery to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Greenwich. I mean, I you know I don't know. It wasn't huge. I mean, maybe like tens of thousands, twenties of right. thousands of people or something. I, I, but I'm probably wrong. Like I should probably fact check via Google. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge town and it was sort of a lot of people who worked in Manhattan would live in Greenwich in the suburbs and kind of like commute to Manhattan so that they could have their families and the, a good school system and like have a lot of parks and stuff, but also have that New York city kind of money and fast paced life. So it's, right. it's bougie. It's definitely a it's bougie, bougie. Place. <laughs> <laughs> What was your high school like? Um, my high school, like, it was interesting. I think there were maybe 3,500 people. And um, I'll say my high school was pretty good. I was not well behaved in high school at all. So I skipped so many, like, I didn't go to class um, most of high school. So um, I can tell you that the food was really good because I used to spend every day in the, like, the main <laughs> student center eating food and playing cards with my friends. But um. Yeah, it, it was it was big. I mean, it was thirty five hundred people, so it was like some small colleges, and that and I don't yeah. know that they really. Ch- I would go to class and take tests, but I wouldn't go to class if it wasn't if some if something wasn't due, um, and there wasn't a test. I would just like blow it off. I was really not a very good. I, I didn't like authority as a child. Yeah. Oh, I love everything I'm hearing. I mean, what an ideal uh, adolescence to talk about with somebody who has since like gone on to do such, I think, important work. And, and you don't necessarily, like you could have, you know, you, I, mean, I guess no answer would have totally shocked me, but 
had you said the exact opposite, right? And been like, well, you know, I'm a real self-starter and I have a lot of different interests. So um, I was valedictorian and, <laughs> you know, oh um, I mean, it's like, but yeah. that's like people assuming that I was, you know, people are like, I'm sure you were homecoming queen. I'm like, I was goth. I didn't go to any, I've never been to a sports game in my life that was at a high school. Um, but, uh, but what, so what, when you say you didn't like authority, like, is that, was that kind of a where was that coming from like i mean i get that's a yeah, very cliche sure. question so, but were you no, angry so, like did you have like a sort of underlying I in general was. anger was it the people specifically at school like do you know yeah so i was um raised by a single mom until i was 11 and so i i was raised very to be very precocious and very adult like and to kind of question things and and I, I was the little lawyer as a child, you know, my mom would say something and I would be like, well, tell me your objections precisely, you know, and I was rewarded for being an independent thinker and I, I was raised like an adult. And so my mom met and married, well, she met my stepdad when I was 11 and then they had my little sister when I was 12. And I, I mean, we joke in my family that my stepdad puts the dick in dictator. Like he was just very authoritarian and very, I mean, like he just wasn't, uh, because I said so, it was like a valid thing for him. So it was very hard. And, and I, those were, you know, my formative years, like 11, 12, when he came into my life. And so middle school and high school for me, looking back at the time, I would have said that I was angry, but in retrospect, I think I was just like very depressed. And I was kind of, mm. I kind of like given up on believing that I had a safe place to land with my mom. So I, I just felt like mm. I was an adult and I was going to be responsible for my life. And like, you can't tell me what to do. And, um, you know, I still, it's funny because you point to the fact that like, I have this accomplished career, but I still, I'm my own boss and I do what I love. So I'm, I think I don't, I don't know that I've outgrown that. I've just gotten way more strategic yeah, about it. That makes perfect sense. And you said that you would go, you would go for a test or you would go to turn something in. I mean, were you like, were you failing classes? Were you kind of sneakily getting by kind of fairly decently, even though you were ditching class a lot? It was kind of a mix. I think, um, so I, like first quarter, I would always get straight A's. I would show up and I would get A's and I was like, you know, reasonably intelligent and I would apply myself and then I would just lose steam. So like second quarter, I would get like B's and C's. And then by the end of the school year, I'd be at like, I'd be scraping by. And so it's interesting. I actually graduated <laughs> high school early because my guidance counselor was wise enough to recognize that pattern. And he was like, you know, uh, if you get into college based on your like, first and second quarter grades, you, you'll probably get kicked out, you know, if you continue this pattern. So um, I went to school, my first college on a volleyball scholarship. And once that, once oh. they admitted me, I was like, all right, cool. Like I'm peace out. So I graduated high school early and moved in with my drug addict boyfriend. Like I was, I was very rebellious. I was very, very rebellious in my teen years. Wow. Um, yeah, but you know, looking back, I don't know that I would change it. It was just, it's just interesting to feel like, like, wow, like I, I was such a, like, I, I just was such a different person in some ways. And then also, so the same in some ways. Yeah. You said that you, your, your, your whole family sort of has the joke of he put the dick in dictator. Is he still in the picture? Is like everybody no. just have a sense of humor, including him about it or no? No, no. I mean, I, I he uh, he and my mom divorced when my little sister was 11, which is kind of ironic because it's like I had 11 years without him and yeah. she had 11 years with him. You know? And weird. then, um, yeah, and they divorced. And now it's uh, it's very strange because I feel like I've forgiven him for, you know, the like difficulty that that he was as a person. And, and like I am fine now, but... It, ironically everyone else in my family sort of hates him and I hated him throughout childhood and then like forgave him as an adult and they kind of uh -huh. it's been the reverse so yeah it, that was yeah but no he's not he's not in the picture although we can still laugh about him I think that's one of the things when you have a somewhat comedic background is like you laugh at anything even things that were horrible right yeah what was that about for him do you think was he um 
was he did he have any experience with kids was that just his way of being like I don't I assume this is how you know it's done because this is what my my mom did to me or my dad did to me or yeah so he was adopted um into a family and at that time I mean this kind of pulls it back to race um but he is a person of color and at that time um you know, in at least where he grew up in Binghamton, New York, the only criteria really for being able to adopt a child of color was that you also had to be a person of color. So there wasn't really necessarily like this rigorous vetting process. And he was mm -hmm. very abused by his adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. And so I think he just never knew mm -hmm. how to like, like just physically, like horrifically abused. And Jeez. so I think when, as when he came into the picture, he felt like, well, you know, as long as I'm not beating her I'm a good stepdad like and so that mm. was his criteria like that was his benchmark mm -hmm. and I think also you know I know that this is not true for many many people who are adopted and have beautiful families and like you know go on to live amazing lives but I think for some people who are uh, at least for him you know he felt very abandoned by his family and he felt like you know if sure. my own parents couldn't love me then no one's ever gonna Love me so I think sure. he had a pattern of kind of like hurting people before they hurt him and I think yeah. I was a very easy target and also I mean in his defense I'd been raised to feel like I was an adult and that's not very typical of a child so I think sure if he'd come into the like come into some other kid's life I think they might have had an easier time maybe with someone new just setting rules and being arbitrary mm -hmm. we used to, I mean, Janet we used to fight like we we used to like go at each other. It was real. I mean, it was, it was really pretty, uh, pretty intense. So. Oh my gosh. What, how did your mom handle that? She, um, I think she had come from a very different background with 10 kids and two parents who loved each other madly and deeply until her mom passed away. Um, and like, and, you know, continued to, but my grandpa, continued to love my grandma like until the day that he died 40 years later so like she was just very used to parents presenting a united front and like loving their kids and so I think she didn't she didn't really wake up to the fact that he was not on the same page as her for a while and then when she did I think she just couldn't really believe it um and she I don't know I mean I think it was hard for her because she loved us both and she didn't know she didn't want to like choose her kid over her husband or her husband over her kids. I think she just did her best. And, and in retrospect, like it was very psychologically damaging, I think to me and, um, and probably really difficult for him. So I, you know, it's, it's hard. Like we've talked about it since, and I actually developed an eating disorder in high school. And, um, I think a large part of the reason was the way that my mom, um, like when I was 14 years old, she sat me down and she said, you know, if you make this a choice between you and my husband, I'm going to choose him. So you better get, your I know, I know like soul oh. crushing, right? Like soul eviscerating, but unbeknownst to me, she also sat down with him and said, you know, this is my daughter. And if you make this a choice between you and my daughter, I'm going to choose my daughter. So you better get your act together. But I didn't know that at the time. So I just felt like so unlovable uh, and so damaged. Yeah, and I, that's the strong – I mean, I understand that in her mind that was going to sort of sew up the gap rather than yeah. terrify you. But like, <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Bless her I heart. Think, what a huge misstep. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think parents – I think parenting is so, so, so hard. And there are – Oh, my God. I can't imagine. Like, no, but yeah, it's – so hard. So I, I really, at this point as an adult, I definitely don't fault her, but oh my, I cannot tell you the emotional consequences, the, the ramifications that that had on me, that like single Gosh. conversation. Um, and yeah. still today, I mean, if I feel like my mom's like choosing, so, like, I don't, I still sometimes like my mom and I have a great relationship now, but there's a certain button where if I just feel like her love is conditional, I am like so mad. I feel like I'm 14 again. So, mm -hmm. yeah. One thing I wanted to say was, uh, did your sister, cause I know a lot of the time, well, it sounds like, I mean, obviously if you guys all kind of have that joke and your, your sister and your mom aren't crazy about him either, 
maybe it was the same, but you know, there's, there's that thing that happens too, where, you know, him being your stepfather at, and you being age 11 could be a very different familial experience than your sister being his yeah. child and being 11 years younger. Did, did she have, was she kind of brought up the same way or, or was it different for her, but you know, not yeah. necessarily better or worse, but just different. Yeah, I actually feel like my sister's experience was a lot worse because she she had a very close relationship with her dad and felt very loved by him until I, I think she always felt like, you know, at this in the same way that I kind of started to feel like my mom's love was conditional. I think she felt like her dad's love was conditional because he could always be very authoritative and always like kind of he threatened he threatened a lot, you know, with his parenting mm. style. So I definitely think that my sister grew up a little in fear of him, but also they were so, 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 so close. And then when he and my mom divorced, so I don't think I mentioned this, but he also uh, is a drug addict and an alcoholic. Um, and oh, those diseases, yeah. you know, that kind of thing can be very progressive. And yeah. so for the early part of her childhood, he was more like, a fun drunk, you know, and then as she got older, I think he got thicker and more into his disease. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. like that has, it's been really, really challenging for her because her dad, who she loved and grew up with just sort of disappeared into addiction and then kind of tried to resurface when she was an adult. But they, yeah, they, I mean, it's, it's, I think her path has been harder because for me, he was never my dad. And I always had, I mean, I grew up like with a very strong, like early childhood sense of self and lovability and, um, and a resilience that I think is really hard to have if your parent is kind of still a child in many ways. Gosh, no kidding. Now, you, I can't help but notice that you mentioned uh, your stepfather's addiction, and then you also happened to mention that you, um, when you graduated, you moved right in with your drug addicted boyfriend. So, yes. what? what um, <laughs> where did, did, if you don't mind my asking, where did? Um, and I and I wouldn't hate getting back to the eating disorder, um, but I don't want to pry. Uh, even oh, though this podcast is super pry. Pry away, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's just so many of us have had experiences that we feel better about having had when we know that, you know, other people, even the ones we don't know, um, yeah. go through similar stuff. Uh, but did, did you have, did you, were you getting into like, were you getting into drugs and stuff um, when no. you were in high school? And, no. Yeah. And I'm actually in a certain way, I'm very, very grateful that I had the stepdad that I did because I have a very addictive personality, but I also luckily am more spiteful like than, you know, in a way. And so I just never wanted to be like him. I was always, I just always felt like, you know, I'm going to be better than you. And I hate seeing you drunk and high yeah. and all those things. And so um, so I never drank. I never really, I mean, I think I smoked pot maybe five times in my whole life, but I never really got into any drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Um, and still to this day, I don't drink. I, I'm like kind of, yeah, not wired for that, but I think I went the other way into something that I thought I could control, which was mm -hmm. food and my body mm -hmm. and exercise and but like yeah. quickly, if anybody, you know, like has an eating disorder or an experience of disordered eating that takes on a life of its own and becomes Absolutely. out of control. But I had the illusion of control, at least with an eating disorder that I would have. That's, that's such a good point. I, I feel like sheepish for not sort of realizing like, oh, wait, that's makes so much sense. I mean, it's like, it, I think it's just one of those things that you know inherently, but you don't necessarily put the two of them in the same conversation all the time. Um, yeah. Even though, like, <laughs> even though that that AA has a version of OA and not to be confused with the OA on Netflix, uh, watch out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and like, you know, sex, sex addiction, love, sex and love addiction. Like, of course, even within that family of, of therapies, there's like, it's very clear that there's a relationship between them. But um, just hearing you say it the way you said it, like, oh, yeah, that so makes sense. Like if you have if if you if you have someone in your life who's out of control, um, 
in whatever way that means for you at the time and for them and how it gets perceived, the idea that you could go the other way and be addicted to something that is all about the illusion of control is like, that's but just that's so fascinating and it makes so much sense. Well, the mind is so brilliant and also so primitive. I mean, this like mm. it's so strange to me. And now looking back at it, these things make so much sense. But I know we're talking about high school, and I, I mean, I just gosh, my high school self had no idea. Like I didn't set out consciously to make any of these choices, but just the subconscious is so brilliant. It really is. And <laughs> diabolical. Yeah, right. Um, so what, how, how did that take shape for you? Was it um, sort of more anorexia or bulimia or? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think it started as more anorexia and then became um, bulimia and then went back to anorexia. And then, you know, throughout the years, it's been all over the map. Um, and I re I mean, I struggled for a very, very long time, like decades. And, um, so yeah, it morphed a lot, but I would say that the most sustained thing for me has been bulimia. Girl, I got you. Yeah, I got you. It's really, uh, it's, it's so, well, yeah, it's, it's so persistent. I mean, I, that's not something that I, I, I've only had a brush with it. Um, uh, and I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast. Um, but, but, but that brush, uh, was so illuminating and it's, it was super unhealthy. Like when I say brush, I don't mean, you know, like, Oh, one day I felt like I should starve myself. It was like, Oh no, there was a period of time where I was super over exercising, super starving myself. Um, and clearly looking back, like the most unhappy, you know, just like, I'm trying to think, but it's weird because like, you know, I've, because I've gone through sort of mental illness stuff when I was, um, even younger, uh, that to me is very easy to associate with unhappiness because it's so black and white. It's like panic attacks are awful you know, out of body experiences slash disassociation, you know, depersonalization is horrific on its face. There's nothing hiding there, if that makes sense, versus, you know, when I, when I started kind of slipping into this place of, 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 God, I'm really not eating that much. And I'm, and I'm looking so great. And like, Oh, I still like getting out there and running around and playing tennis, all this kind of stuff. And this is like a good, it's like decade, more than a decade ago. But, um, but I was so unhappy, but I couldn't like, I, I knew I must be on some level, but it was, it just doesn't, it masqueraded more, um, earlier on as, you know, just like, enthusiasm and like dedication and you know health um and and that's you know one of the things that struck me so hard because I did you know go start seeing a therapist again I hadn't been seeing one and um you know just to to just be told like well honey this one's pretty complicated because you have to eat you can't stop you know you don't and that's one of the things I know they say in programs as well um but it's so it's so true (laughs) You know, like you can't not eat like that's not this like you can stop drinking alcohol and you can walk away from it and you can then you can stop taking heroin. It's not easy. God knows it's not easy, but you can stop because you don't have to do it to survive on a granular, you know, physical, biological level. You got to eat. And so that is very that's a very powerful relationship to have you know, to be, to be contorted in different ways. And, and so it's this, on, it can be an ongoing lifelong conversation for many people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, sort of a double-edged sword because it's so, as you point out, like it's something that has to be confronted, you know, three times a day or however many times a day um, a person eats. But at the same time, I also look at it as like, I have a very clear built-in check-in mechanism that I will probably have for my whole entire life that alerts me when I'm, my self-care is off. 
and that alerts me when I'm not doing things that I need to do to feed my soul and to feed my spirit because those old ways of thinking like they creep back in and I don't know I mean if I were in recovery from drug addiction or alcoholism or something like I don't know that I would be having those constant check-ins in the same way with myself or be confronted with the fact that great like, point yeah I mean some of these patterns for me anyway are lifelong like I'm a person who doesn't always want to talk about my feelings but if I want to stay in recovery about my eating disorder like I can't not because then I start to feel like you know I start to have body dysmorphia <laughs> talk about my yeah, feelings yeah. for a certain amount of time or I start to like it feels like a really good idea to restrict my food or to like go oh on a diet. I, I mean, yeah, just absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I have to say, I love that perspective. I love the idea that it's a bit of a canary in a coal mine. I love the idea that it's yeah. a little, that it, that it, that it can serve a purpose. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, people who get cold sores. Like if you're really stressed out, you might sort of feel a tingle and yeah. it's like, wait a minute, what's going on with me? Like, hold on. Or if you have an autoimmune or, you know, some of these things that um, none of us would necessarily choose for ourselves, but that if you if if it can if you can get into a relationship with your body and your mind where it can serve as that little check in, um, I think that's brilliant, like that, that, that it could feel like a, a, a little bit of a gift, like, well, I've got it. Now I've, I mean, I have it, so let's use it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. Well, depending on the day that like you're catching me on a day where I can say this, but you oh, know, dude, absolutely. catching me on a day when I'm like, you know, morose and taken to my bed because absolutely. I hate myself or whatever. Yeah. Oh totally my God. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it goes without saying that that doesn't, that there, that all of that comes with like all of the ups and downs that anyone would expect from just a, a life lived and being in like an emotionally sensitive person, you know, Absolutely. Totally, totally get that. Um, okay, so that's interesting to me about your boyfriend then because, um, you know, uh, once I stopped doing drugs, like I could not stand to be around anybody who was on drugs because it was like yeah. very boring and embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm like when I'm high. <laughs> um, what was that like for you being, a being, you know, not necessarily being uh, in the same position as him um and and how did his stuff manifest and was it was it anything like your stepfather or was it so different that there was there wouldn't be like a comparison there yeah I mean I think the thing that I I needed to be with someone who was sick because I was so sick and so I needed mm. to be with someone who wasn't gonna challenge me on the fact that I would like just disappear for hours at a time to binge and purge or like cancel dates because I didn't like how I looked in my outfit you know like I mean I just yeah. I couldn't be with someone who is mentally and emotionally healthy and stable because they wouldn't have tolerated it so um, I think it was very like it worked very very well for both of us because we like loved each other and we you know kind of like I mean like we we were young like we were definitely attracted and we would just you know like be in our respective addictions and then have sex and then be in our respective like it was I think mm -hmm. it was exactly what I wanted at the time and and I was also I did I would have lived anywhere other than with my stepdad at that point. Hmm. <laughs> so it was right. like, sure. oh, great that I was 17 and I got to live with like this 19 year old or something. And it was only maybe for like six or seven months before I went away to college and after graduating high school early. So I certainly, I'm sure it would have imploded. Like we just were getting sicker and sicker and more and more toxic. Um, but so I don't know how long it could have lasted, but certainly for that stretch, it was really, it was wonderfully toxic and, um, uh -huh. and uh, yeah, it was like a beautiful tragedy. Certainly uh, for that time. Yeah. Well, I know everything that you've said up to this point, certainly, um, would, it would make sense if you didn't have a ton of pursuits that you were passionate about, because that to your point, you know, it takes a lot of dedication to be so, um, 
rigidly controlling about something like food. Um, but but did you have stuff that, you know, you weren't such a fan of authority and, and the authority part of school and kind of all the stuff that came along with that? Did you did you feel like you had a little bit of a chance to flourish in certain things like dance or music, you know, more the, the more creative yeah. stuff or. So I was an athlete. Um, and oh, I that's also, right. Volleyball I, scholarship. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I like, and I think that in many ways really was a saving grace for me. Cause I, I did um, some acting and then I also played volleyball. And so in high school, like I was actually, it's really interesting because when I go back to, I went to my high school reunion, like, I, I don't know how long ago, but my 10 year high school reunion. And like, I was a very popular person um, at the time. And so I had like a lot of people who thought really well of me, but nobody knew. I mean, I think I had a ton of acquaintances, but not very many close friends. Mm-hmm. Because if I talk to people about my high school about, or from my high school about what my high school experience was like, every single one of them has been floored. They're like, we had no, you know, (laughs) no idea Mm -hmm. what you were going through. We just saw you. You were always just like around. And I was like, yeah, I was always around because I never went to class. Like, how do you know? (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I was just, I wore a mask for most of my high school career. And I had, I, I graduated early and I, I worked, I had a job and then uh, I went to college and I think for me, I mean, my high school grades didn't matter to me at all. But when I went to college, I, I really, I did really, really well. I had like a four, uh, I got one A minus in my entire college career, um, but all the rest A's because I was so like, it was just me and I was responsible for myself. And so I kind of flipped whatever like depressive switch I had flipped over to being more like anxious and um, my, I don't care attitude flipped into, I care about everything and I care way too much and I'm going to be hyper vigilant. Mm. And, um, it, be, it, yeah, it was another side of the same inadequacy feeling, but I think I was, I was very, very driven, um, from 17 until probably still now. Like I just, I, I don't know how to un coil whatever that thing thing is in me that wants to like (laughs) prove myself or something but yeah so I definitely think that um I worked very very hard in college um which was such a surprise to everyone given how little I cared in high school um and then I as an adult you know I I worked in finance initially for a while and I hated that. And and when I um, left that and went into like very, very long-term treatment for the eating disorder, once I got out, it felt really important for me to, as you say, like per- pursue my creative passions. And I've done that. And I've done that, like, I think partly because of my inspiration and because of my love and because it feels essential to my recovery. But also I feel like there's a little part of me that, that wants it to be okay that I've chosen an alternate path and I didn't go into finance and I didn't do what everyone else has done. So like, I want to, you know, I want to excel at that. And so I, I am a little bit of a workaholic for sure. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, let's get into this mash game. Uh, the first uh, category, I would love for you to give me three answers um, for, and uh, this is just kind of a way for us to focus on kind of fun stuff yeah. um, uh, for the end of the podcast. Uh, the first category I want to do is um, three places in the world that you would love to have, like sort of a, a vacation home or even like a place to go work, but, you know, be on a work retreat, like whatever. Yeah. 
that means yeah, for you. Uh, three places in the world. And we'll just pretend we can teleport you there and COVID. Okay. okay. All right. Especially now. Uh, Italy, Bali, and Jamaica. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, next category, let's do three alternate universe careers that um, <laughs> it's only like the little kid version, what the little kid versions of us think of, like only the positives <laughs> of these careers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's alternate universe. Yeah. Th three things that um, that you would love to have pursued full time, uh, the fun version in this alternate universe. Do I need to have the requisite talent? Because I would have loved Not at to all. be a singer. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, good. Let's put that the singing. Great. Uh, oh, okay. Um, an astrophysicist. And and again, these are things that I could never do, but I would love to have pursued. Um, and I would have loved to be a hairdresser because I feel like you get to hear people's stories. Oh my God. I love that answer so very much. And I couldn't agree more. All of these, all of these jobs that, that people do, I was just, um, I had a conversation about that with someone else, like that, that those, those services and those skills that are highly specialized and that are one-on-one -on -one and that involve just like a lot of time alone with this other person for whatever thing you're performing for them. Um, just the amount of like free therapy that's also coming on the side, I think is <laughs> potentially totally. is pretty extraordinary. And I, selfishly, I just love information. And I feel like people will tell like their one-on-one -on -one service providers, like so much, like, the deepest, yeah. most intimate things about themselves. And I'm always yeah. wanting people to tell me more about themselves. So um, yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm we, we want to be, we want to feel seen. We want to feel known. And sometimes that means that we want people that, you know, we don't necessarily have an onus to in other ways, like we need them to know us. It's, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, okay, great. Next category. Let's do three. It could be, a person, like a real life person, or uh, I'll just give this example. It could be like Brad Pitt, the actor, or it could be like Brad Pitt, the character in the movie A River Runs Through It, or it could be like the character in A River Runs Through It, the book, um, or it could be if there were a cartoon version, that character. So like any, it can be any romance, any character, any from any time, um, the sky's the limit, but three sexy times slash romance uh, partners for this alternate universe. Oh, oh my gosh. All right. So, um, I would say, uh, Halle Berry, um, Will Smith, and I don't know why, but Chandler Bing from Friends. Oh my God. I love it. What a great <laughs> list. What a perennial list. Like if you had said this exact same list in like 1995 or something, I don't know. I don't remember how long Hallie's been around. It feels like a very long time um, yeah. considering that she looks exactly the same. Uh, but like, I love, I, I love how perennial it is. This is a fantastic. I know. Book. I feel like I was maybe like, I'm still maybe in my high school self just having this conversation because I couldn't right. think no, of it's anyone. Great. <laughs> I couldn't love it anymore i couldn't love it anymore and i and i and i don't disagree um uh okay next category let's do three well let's do three movies that you can jump into and just be in that world and and hang out with those characters you don't have to relive the plot or anything it's just kind of going to that alternate world oh okay um i i kind of would want to experience the matrix as messed up as it was I know. Um, so Nothing's nothing bad can happen to you. I should say that. In, okay. In this, yeah. So well, if nothing movie. bad could happen to me, can I go to Murder in the Orient Express? Hell yeah. Yeah. And um. Oh, and the Notebook. I I I don't know. I just would. I wouldn't want to be one of the main characters, but I would want to be able to observe that love story. Mm -hmm. Feel that feeling. Feel those feelings and experience yeah. the the level of emotion of that absolutely uh okay next category let's do three people uh living or dead that you would love to basically we just like give you guys a day together to just you just get to kind of absorb that person's energy and and mm. learn from them and 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 you know um be inspired by them you can ask for advice three people sure so i would say my aunt maggie who passed away when i was eight 
my grandfather, who also passed away, and Michelle Obama. Michelle, in there with family. That says a lot. Yep. I love it. Okay, so this is a category that I love to do my relationship with food notwithstanding, but we absolutely don't have to do it if for you it feels like, mm, this is like, this is triggery. But um, I love to do the, in this alternate universe, three foods that you can have in perpetuity with zero ramifications. So if it's something that's not great for the environment, like beef or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, totally got got it. Uh, so caramel great. sundaes with like all the fixins, uh, a maybe like a really good juicy steak, Yep. And and beef stew, like my mom's homemade beef stew from childhood. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Okay. Uh, next category I want to do, let's do three. And this is different than the you having your own place somewhere. This okay. is three. And I don't care if they exist already or if this is just like a totally made up from your mind yeah. fantasy, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to go on three different retreats. It could be a yoga retreat. It could be oh. a, you know, sort of therapeutic okay. retreat. It could be like yeah. learn how to fence in Italy kind of retreat. So let's put together three retreats and where they are that I'm going to give you that you go to go like spend three weeks doing. Got it. And they could be totally magical and like, and absolutely. All, yeah. Okay. So I would want to go to Narnia and learn witchery from the Snow Queen or whatever her name was. I, yes. I would really want to do that. Um, I am actually going to Sedona for a retreat in November. Nice. So I, I'll take that. I'll add that to the I list. Love Sedona. I, it's I've never Ooh, the leaves will I still be the like, leaves will be bright flaming orange still in November in Sedona so that's going to be have you been there at that time of year no no I've oh, never been there before it's so magic excited. it yeah. is so beautiful that time of year I'm so excited for you and fairly envious that's really really okay. cool okay so <laughs> yeah. Sedona love it love it um and then I would want to go to like to Mars and like learn how to be an astronaut or something or learn how to like walk on the moon. I feel like that would, I love, I could not love more that you want to go to space camp, but like actually. <laughs> yeah. I know zero about uh, uh, astronomy. It's fantastic. I astrology. So yeah, I would go to the moon. That's, that's the place. Okay. Uh, what? Okay. And then this is our final category. Final category is going to be for you. Let's do three. Uh, let's do, I'm, I'm going through this uh, magical room phase because of COVID and people having been inside and kind of being used to their own, overused to their own space. So oh, this is yeah. a kind of Harry Potter-esque magical room where you, uh, it, there's a door that opens up and it defies the the logic of the size of your place. So yeah. it can be, you know, suddenly there's, you have a gym in there or suddenly you have a spa or suddenly you have a forest, um, three magical rooms that we're going to just create inside your, your current space. Got it. I want a beach in my house for sure. Just like a beautiful beach. Um, I would love a zero gravity room. I feel like that would be really, really fun right now. Um, zero grab. Then, love it. Yeah. I, so I, I, this is probably a very boring answer, but right now I write in like my bedroom or my living room. I don't really have any spaces that are just dedicated to that. So I mm -hmm. would love like just like a really cozy writing annex that was just dedicated love it. to that purpose. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Give me a number between one and six. Two. I had such a strong feeling you were going to pick a low number. Isn't that funny? Really? Um, that was so strange. I really like I, that. I really was like, she's going to go super low anyway. Um, uh, okay. So I'm going to do my quick, um, can't even be called a tabulation, but nonetheless, we'll call it one. Uh, while you, I would love for you to reiterate to people where they can find you other stuff that I know you do that people can check out. Uh, in addition to the podcast, let's just revisit all of that briefly. While, well, not actually, you don't have to be brief because I'm going to be doing this MASH game. So it's all yeah, you. Absolutely. So you do your thing. And I'll just tell the listening audience that 
I just launched the Demystifying Diversity podcast, and they can find it anywhere they find their podcasts. Uh, we also have a website, so it's demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. I also have another site uh, just related to all the other work that I do. That's daraleeslyons.com, and that's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S. Dot com And on there, um, I have information about like the improv that I do and the acting and I've written now and published, I think like 20 or 21 books. So those are all on there and journalistic articles and um, yeah, let's direct the listener me. back to the so, time when you said you were an overachiever and they will yeah, right, uh, right. Be able to quickly understand <laughs> all of this. <laughs> I'm also like a low-key introverted extrovert, so I love to be creative and it really rejuvenates my spirit. And now that I'm not bur- binging and purging 12 times a day, like I need other things to keep <sighs> So, Ab- um, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. I will tell you uh, if you fi- are finished up enough. Did you did, did you shout out a like social media or anything, or did I totally? Uh, get you yeah, off? so all my social media links are um, at Daralise Lyons or um, on Instagram, demystifying diversity podcast. Gorgeous. Okay, are you ready for your mash results? Please, I think you're going to be extremely pleased. Oh, I find okay. this to be. Um, for for as uh, as let us say diverse as your answers were, um, I feel like there's some sort of like kind of cosmic through line in a lot of this that I really really enjoy. So um, let me start out by saying it doesn't surprise me that you have a zero gravity room in your home because you are a brilliant astrophysicist. Oh yeah. And so it feels like those two things, there's, 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 there's something happening there where, uh, like, you know, you did not end up going to, to the moon to become an astronaut. You have your own version of that yeah. right inside yeah. your own home. And, uh, and you also have this, of course, relationship with an understanding of uh, the cosmos and everything that happens off planet Earth where gravity exists. So I love this. I love, too, that, um, you know, some of the most magical things about science feel almost to us like witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't surprise me that you go into Narnia for a retreat so that you get the kind of witchy side of craft so that yeah. you have like the brilliance of science and then you also have the magic of witchcraft uh, from your from your retreat in Narnia. I, I find that very satisfying. Um, I want to also say as if those things weren't enough to keep you and your mind busy, you can also go right inside Murder on the Orient Express whenever you want uh, yeah. for a very uh, stylized adventure. Um <laughs> And, oh, I'm sorry, did I forget to mention your mansion in Italy? Ooh, I love it. Yeah, have... Like, this feels so real, even though it's I like, I, it feels so real. <laughs> So uh, I know that's why I love it so much yeah. uh, where you can have unlimited juicy steak with zero ramifications mm-hmm. on your body or the environment or cows uh, well played on that and you can also have a, a, a beautiful day with your aunt Maggie mm-hmm. um, one assumes you're going to be taking her on some of these adventures so that she can get a peep into what your life looks like now as an adult um i'm sure she will have a magical time with you and then for uh the the romance and love happening here you ended up with none other than Halle berry so for that alone i give you the heartiest congratulations seriously i feel like if if only a fraction of that whole thing could be (laughs) true my life would be infinitely better (laughs) it exists it yeah, exists. Yeah. It's happening. It's an, it's it's this alternate universe. You you guys are you're you're in con- your body and your souls are somehow in conversation. So you're yeah. benefiting from all of these things as well, even if they're not happening right in front of you. Um, totally. They can carry that magic with you, Daryl. thank you again so much for doing the podcast. This has been so wonderful, and I love the deep dive. And I really really appreciate your candor and your willingness to 
not only share of yourself, but, you know, to try to bring more understanding into the world about others. I think it's just wonderful. Yeah, thanks so much. It was such a great and fun and deep and interesting experience. And I'm really, really honored to spend the time with you. So thank you so much. It's my total pleasure. All right. Thanks, everybody. And talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.